how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Mark Bombeck's screenwriting education came from reading hundreds of screenplays. While working in the mailroom, he volunteered to read and provide coverage on submitted scripts, which taught him how to write, but also how not to write. These days, he's known for Live Free or Die Hard, Unstoppable, Total Recall, The Wolverine, The Art of Racing in the Rain, the recent Planet of the Apes, prequels, and Apple's new series, Defending Jacob, starring Chris Evans. The eight-episode story behind Defending Jacob started with a 13-page treatment based on a novel. The story is a character-driven thriller about an assistant DA whose world is shattered when his son is charged with murder. In this interview, Bombach discusses how writers can self-educate, how he uses something called a silent partner with his adaptations, why writing is a craft, not an art, why writers need to occasionally just write the bad version of a scene, and how to improve bulletproof drafts. If you enjoyed this interview, look for the print version on Creative Screenwriting's website and join millions of viewers for the new YouTube video essay series, also called Creative Principles. I, um, I'm from New Rochelle, New York, which is a suburb of uh, Manhattan. And um, to be honest, I was a big film fan as a kid, but not in a way that I ever thought I would be pursuing it as a career wasn't really until I got to college and uh, was introduced to a film studies course that suddenly the prospect of um, maybe doing something with my writing, which up to that point had really been more just fiction writing and um, more as a hobby, uh, sort of presented itself. And I started pursuing it right out of college. I moved out to L.A. with a really good friend from school and, um, and wound up getting a job through a friend of a friend of a friend. In our room of a now defunct production company, um, and when I was there, I just kept on working on my craft uh, and really, you know, learned mostly about what it means to be a screenwriter by just reading scripts um, that were either classic scripts of films that I loved or 
as uh, as this job in the mailroom allowed me to do, uh, reading scripts and doing coverage for the people working at this production company. So I would read whatever scripts were submitted uh, for possible, you know, purchase, and uh, give my recommendations as to what I thought, um, you know, was lacking or if I thought this would make a great film. And again, really just sort of self-educated a lot that way and eventually was able to sell a script of my own. And that's sort of how I began and certainly how I got into it. What were some of the common problems you saw with those screenplays and how did you kind of differentiate yourself when you started doing your own work? You know, I I found that the screenplays that I responded to the most were clearly written by someone who had a voice. They weren't always great. A lot of them sort of had plot issues or I just knew they weren't commercial. They didn't really seem to, um, you know, check enough boxes that I felt the people I was working for would ever want to turn them into films. But the ones that I really gravitated to, you could feel the writer in there. And the ones that I thought were the most problematic felt like they were really just mimicking whatever films they were attempting to, to rip off or, or oftentimes just what was in vogue at the time. And so, um, I, I kind of learned what bad writing looked like as well as, you know, what really good writing looked like independent of what the concept was behind the screenplay. And this is not to suggest that I was a good writer. I was a very bad writer. And so I, again, I was able to sort of see my own mistakes in a lot of these screenplays I was doing coverage uh, for and, and, you know, wound up learning that way uh, how to maybe steer away from a lot of tropes and cliches that, Oftentimes new screenwriters or even seasoned screenwriters who've maybe just gotten a little bit lazy um, fall prey to. So. What are maybe some, I know you do some teaching as well. What are some misconceptions about a career in screenwriting? So I see you've got 15 credits on IMDb. I know you do some script doctoring work and you don't always get credit for that, but what does your career look like the last decade or so for those that are, want to know more about the realities of it? This is going to sound a little bit, uh, familiar, but it's it is a truism. It's most of the product of just a tremendous amount of work. Um, you know, I do think there's a mis a misperception that um, it's somehow an easier way to write than say writing a novel or writing a play. And in some ways, I guess you could say there's more white space on the page, and the the finished product is shorter. But a tremendous amount of work and revising goes into everything you write. Whether it's, you know, a somewhat frothy action film or it's a very heavy drama, they, they, they ultimately, if they have a shot of turning out, you know, decently, they, they do require the same amount of effort. And um, I think, to me, you know, when I started out, it's just funny, I, I sometimes have to coach younger people who I, I used to teach or even just young people who I'm put in touch with. And it's this crazy thing you have to assure them of, which is that your writing is not good when you're starting. Nobody's writing is good when you're starting. You have to believe your writing is good or else you're never going to go forward. But know that it's not. Like, it's a very weird balancing act you have to do in your mind. Like, I've looked back on scripts that I wrote when I was much younger and at the time thought they were great. And now I realize they're horrible. And in a sense, I needed to think they were just good enough to, to keep going but on the flip side, I think there needed to be an awareness also on my part that, like, you're going to get better. It's that Malcolm Gladwell thing that everybody cites now, the 10,000 hours or 
or 10 years. It just does require a ton of practice because it's a craft. It's not an art. You know, I always sort of quote this Paul Schrader quote that I, I sort of live by, which is that screenwriting isn't an art. It's an invitation to invite other people to collaborate on a work of art. You know, it's it's a blueprint for the house. It's not the house. And so in that sense, it is really a craft that does require a lot of practice just to get better at it. It's not to say that your story ideas aren't fantastic when you're young. They are, but getting them into that format and really making it a usable document that everybody working on the film can look at and say, oh, I see what we're trying to make here. This requires a lot of time and a lot of, again, hard work. So if I was to look back on like the last 10 years of my career, I've been a professional for, I think, 22 or 23 years. And truthfully, I probably only within the last two, 10 years do I actually feel like I really knew what I was doing. Um, and even then, I still learn a lot every week. Uh, you know, it's just, it's a constant learning curve and a constant, at least for myself, a constant effort to try to get better at the craft and try to just get closer to the experience of watching a film or watching a television show, which ideally is the sensation you would get when you, when you read a screenplay. So I think, I guess a misperception people sometimes have is that once you break in, it gets a lot easier. And I guess you could argue once it, once you break in, it gets slightly easier to procure work, but that goes away pretty quickly if you're not, if you're not really focused on doing great work as, as, as best as you're able to do it. So, um, I, you know, I don't think everybody thinks it's an easy job, but I know sometimes people deep down do think it's a little bit of an easy job and um, not complaining. It's a great job and I love it, but it's, I think it, it does require more work sometimes than people assume. What are, uh, based on the Paul um, Schrader quote, I've also heard you use the phrase, um, a silent partner of existing films. What are some of your thoughts on the blank page? Like, how do you use, use maybe the rules of genre, uh, previous experience? Like, how do you fight any type of writer's block you might experience? The joke I always make is like, I just open my, my mortgage payment statement and I can get through any, any writer's block. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that, Truthfully, for me at least, and it's, everyone has a different experience, for me, I have to be willing to write poorly that day. If I feel like I have work to do that day and I'm not there, I'm just not able to sort of conceive of what it is that I want to get down, I know that the for me the danger is to just walk away from the computer um, or to distract myself. And not to say I don't do that sometimes, but if I'm sensing that locking up coming on, I need to write the bad version of the scheme. I know there's going to be some tiny thing in there that I can salvage, but I'll also know most of it's going to be crap and I'm going to have to redo it. But I'd rather get something down on paper. I try to write anywhere from five to eight pages a day, especially if I'm you know, actively working on something instead of planning for something. Um, in terms of that, that quote that you might have read about the silent partner. That's sort of how I approach adaptations a lot. And that's why I love adaptations is the silent partner. I think of as my book that I'm adapting and by extension, the author who wrote it. Oftentimes I really just, I, I, I love that person who's assisting me that I can also just ignore if I feel like uh, this scene is already speaking to me and I have a sense of what I want it to be. And I don't, I almost don't want to be distracted by how the book executed the scene. The book might have given me the idea for the scene, or oftentimes the scene's not in the book, but the book created the circumstances that have now 
um, from which the scene has arisen. And so in those, in those scenarios, I, I consider the book or the author of the book, my silent partner. I, I don't need to vet the idea with them, but if I feel like, um, I'm also in a panic and I'm locking up and I'm like, Oh, I forgot how, forgot how to do this part of the story. What did they do in the book? That's the best is I can just at least look at it. And even if it's not perfect and it's not cinematic, it'll give me a few signposts as to where I should start heading. And so that's the gift of adaptations uh, for me at least. So you've done a lot of uh, uh, sequel work adaptations as well. I think your last two, The Art of Racing and the Rain, and then now Defending Jacob are both uh, from books. Where do you begin to adapt something like that? And what are some of the differences between uh, Racing in the Rain, which is a film, and this in uh, this Defending Jacob, which is more of a miniseries? I'll answer the, the first part first, which is um, how I begin really is usually if I'm, if I'm adapting a book, it's because a producer or a studio or someone has optioned this book and they're searching for a screenwriter. I can't, once or, once or twice I've found books myself that I say, oh, I want to, I want to work on this, but usually someone's introduced me to the book. And so I only mention that to say when I'm reading the book, I know it's, I'm reading it with the purposes of can or can I, can I do, can I personally, Mark Bomba, can I do a good job uh, on the film or TV version of this? So while I'm reading it, I can pretty early on get a sense that like, look, whatever, everyone to an extent can adapt a book. What I mean by that is when you're reading a book, any at least a, a, a well-written book, you start to see the movie in your mind, right? Everybody has that. And I think it's why so often people are disappointed when they see a book, a film based on a book they love, is that they had a different movie in their mind and it's betraying that movie they've already watched. Um, for me, it's really about how strongly do I feel that movie in my mind would be something that other people would really respond to and that... Um, and, and oftentimes it's that I'm straying from the book that like, oh, okay, I see what the book is doing here, but here's the things that movies or television do differently. And I'm excited to retell the same story or retell the genesis behind this story. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to tell it in, in this language that I like to speak, which is the, the language of, of the moving image. And so that's sort of how I start. It's like, what's that movie in my head? When I finally put down the book, and oftentimes when I read books, I have a pen in my hand that I'll scribble in the margins. Oh, here's an idea for a scene or whatever. But it's really when I'm done and I've finished the book, do I step back and say, I have a movie in my head now, or I have a TV series in my head. And I, I, I don't have every part filled in, but I certainly have enough of a sense of what would give an audience a real satisfaction um, from the experience of this story. And I don't, pursue jobs or, 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 you know, take on projects that I don't feel like I'm able to really make that substantial contribution. I'm not as interested in things where I'm just transcribing, a, nor do I think there are many movies that are that successfully done that way. But I don't, if someone's like, oh, this book writes itself, you just have to transcribe it into screenplay format. That to me is a pretty good indicator. It's not going to be a great film because novelists have very different agendas. It's also why I love adapting those two books in particular is that neither of those books were written by people. And I know this for a fact, because I know the authors they didn't write them as an avenue to have them adapted into another format. They really wrote them as novels. And so their, their only agenda was telling this story in a way that felt true to them and really was, you know, sort of really resonating with them. And so I have the pleasure of reading what they've written 
in without this other all these other attendant agendas that we have when we're making movies or, or TV. Um, and that's my starting point. And I guess the difference between the two, really just a lot of it, I mean, look, I don't think there's a TV limited series in Art of Racing in the Rain. I do think there is a film version of Defending Jacob. To me, in fact, when I was sent the book, it was sent to me as a potential film project. And while reading it, I was saying, well, I, I know how to do the film of this, but I also know that film is going to be a lot of plot and not a ton of character because it's just not going to be able to sustain both within a, the, the restrictions of 120 minutes. One of those two is going to have to get sacrificed. And what I was really excited about when I finished the book is I immediately called the producers and said, I have no interest in the film version, but I have a ton of interest in the limited series version because I think we have this really rare opportunity that the stuff I love, right, like Broad Church and things like that, um, are are doing this tightrope block of giving you a really satisfying, intense, thrilling mystery, right? And then at the same time, they're using that as a way, they're using that genre as a way to explore what it means to be a person. And that's the kind of stuff that I get so excited about. And I do think there are lots of films that do that successfully. I know one film that I uh, used as a real touchstone was Mystic River. I think does that really successfully. I don't think it's an accident. It's also based on a novel. Um, but I really think right now where we are in, in the history of motion pictures, which I guess I would extend to TV, TV is doing this in a very special way. And I was just super excited to dive into that and try it with this material that I felt, you know, sort of uniquely qualified to, um, to translate to that. Have you, I think you mentioned um, working on Defending Jacob at least two years ago publicly. Have you always been working with Apple or when did that kind of collaboration come about? What happened is um, anonymous content who are managers and producers, uh, they, they produce Mr. Robot and True Detective. They had sent me the book again as a film idea. I, I came back to them and said, how about we do this for TV? And we and they brought Paramount as a studio, you know, how, how TV works versus film, which I'll confess I didn't really totally understand this until I started working on Defending Jacob, is that you have the studio and you have the network. When it's in film, what we call the studio is the distributor. It's the end. It's the end of the, of the food chain. It's it's Universal or Paramount. In TV, they're a bit more of the the middle the middle user i don't know, i'm trying to think of the right word but they they're in between you the creator and the network who are really the end of the food chain and so the paramount was the studio and paramount and anonymous said um we would like to have you write a pilot script based on this you know what your take is here and maybe even come up with a treatment of like i think my treatment was 13 or 14 pages long that is going to explain what the other episodes are going to be plotted out as not, not with any specific detail, but just enough to give a sense of, Oh, you've thought through how to do this. And then I think from that, we would even try to get an actor and a director on board before we set it up at a network, because it's going to give us the greatest odds of um, getting it made. It doesn't mean that you wouldn't sell it somewhere. Someone would probably buy it, but when you're doing these things, you're really, you're not looking to sort of go into development. You're looking to go into a relationship that's going to mean production. And so, um, so sure enough, I wrote the script. I wrote this, uh, we call it a Bible, the treatment. And, um, 
the first director who I had sent it to was Morton Tilden. Uh, I was a fan of his stuff, and he had just been working with Paramount on something else, and they said they uh, they think he would be someone we could reach uh, if, if I used Paramount to get to him, and so I did, and Morton really liked it, and we had a great conversation and felt like we were really seeing eye to eye. And so he came on board, and then we started thinking about actors, and uh, Chris came on board. And so by the time we went to Apple, we already knew who was starring in it and who was going to direct it. And it made Apple, you know, I think Apple's decision a lot easier to say, okay, we really understand what the show is going to look and feel like because now we know who the star is and, and who the director is, and it's going to really help us tell our tell our bosses, yes, we should greenlight this, you know, so. That's that's a long-winded answer to your question. It sounds like, so I know you do your, when you go maybe script doctor, you're usually just in there two or three weeks, something like that. But when you're doing something like this and it takes a couple of years, are you working on multiple long-term projects at once or just focused on one at a time? Well, you know, if you'd asked me when I started this, I would have said, oh, I'm going to do multiple things while I'm doing this. And The truth is I did a few um, pieces of writing when I had tiny breaks while working on Defending Jacob. So I would do some script doctoring here or there. As we were winding down post-production, I was able to squeeze in the script doctoring. But the truth is, if you're to do the limited series properly, or at least in the way that I feel comfortable doing it, um, I, you know, I wrote every episode. So I, I wrote the equivalent of lengthwise of four feature screenplays. Um, and, um, and I was the exec producer, and I was really the showrunner. I was on set every single day. And so it's, I guess show up in the morning on set and then disappear into my trailer and do some job for hire. But then why am I even on set? So I, I really like being there every day. I like forging a relationship with the actors. I really loved the partnership Morton and I developed over the course of making this. And I knew that, you know, one day this show will wrap production and I will miss the making of this thing. And I want to be very present for it and really want to experience. This is like a marathon. You know, usually when you're writing a screenplay, it's, it, 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 it's an entirely different experience when you're the screenwriter. You're at most, I mean, on the Apes movies, for example, I was very involved during production because Matt and I were very close friends and we liked to work together while we're making the film. But I always knew that if I needed to go home, I could just say I'm leaving set and nobody would really blink. I wasn't needed on set. It was more for my own sort of entertainment. And again, just to be a, a, an extra pair of eyes and ears for Matt. But on this, I, I really, I did feel very needed on set. And I, I it was a new experience for me and one I didn't want to uh, sort of distract myself from by taking on other film work. So I would read stuff and I would think about stuff and take notes for myself on ideas I had. But for the most part, this was my life for the last couple of years. It sounds like one of your skills is, so let's say like there's a couple of different stages of like ideas and research, then writing, then editing, and then possibly show running. It sounds like you're good at jumping back and forth and changing the mindset it takes to do that. Is it mostly changing from reactive to proactive work? Or how do you kind of see the differences, let's just say writing and editing maybe? You know, again, I think these things just require a lot of, repetition to get better at it um you know i it there's two kinds of rewriting i do right there's rewriting i do of my own work which is much harder for me than the rewriting i do of other people's work like when i get hired to do script doctoring or a little more extensive rewriting in a way i i feel like 
there's there's less of an emotional toll on myself. Like I don't sit there and agonize about my emotional connection to what's going on, and I'm I'm able to be a little more objective about um, the material in front of me because I didn't create it, right? My ego wasn't as tied into it. And so I, I think in some ways I write more efficiently, certainly, and arguably easier uh, when I'm doing rewriting or script doctoring of other people's work because I'm able to come in and say, okay, I see exactly where this writer made a wrong turn here. It's the kind of wrong turn I would have made if I was writing this myself, but I didn't. So now I'm going to repair it and do this person the favor that I would have hoped someone would do for me if they were rewriting me. I, I really try to be very respectful of the script I'm working on um, and try not to ever fix things that I don't believe are broken because uh, I know how much work it takes to, to write a script. But on the flip side, I am working for people who are trying to make a film that they feel happy with, whether it's the director or the, the studio or the producers. People are bringing in someone like me to do this, this rewriting for a reason. And really, I just try to get everyone's voice heard and say, like, what's not working for everyone? What do you... What is missing here? What what would make this a film that you all would be more excited about? And then just come up with solutions. You know, it's again, it's like it's a weird analogy to say architecture and this house we're building, but it's a very apt one in some ways. Like it's almost like we've we've moved into we have this house we're about to move into. Part of it's built and part of it's not, but we're looking at it now and it definitely feels off. It's not the house we thought we were building. Here's what we were aspiring to, and they will explain to you this is where we thought this would be. This is what this is the thing that we were excited about. We first had this idea, and now we can't remember where that fits into the story anymore. How do we reinvigorate the story with these things that first excited us about it? And so, again, it's easier when you are brought in because no one's you're not having your own sort of self doubts and saying, "Oh, I screwed them up," and I'm disappointing them. You know. Whereas when it's my own original work, I I tend to get, you know more critical uh, in, a, in some ways in a less helpful way that I, I really, I, I'll then have to go to friends of mine whose opinion I value and say, do me a favor and read this. What's not working here? Cause I've lost perspective. And it's funny. I know all writers have the same experience. When you get to the last page and you've turned that, you finally say, okay, this is the draft and I'm turning it in. Um, you do say to yourself, there's no way this can get any better. I finally have written the draft of this thing. This is the quintessential draft of this project. This will, any notes now are only going to take this backwards. And you hand it in, and you have a knot in your stomach because you know there's no way you're going to not get notes. Everybody gets notes. And the notes come back, and oftentimes the first read of those notes are just nausea-inducing. You just say, oh, this is what I was worried about. They're going to screw up the whole script. This is it. This is the backward steps we're about to take. And inevitably, I will tell you, for me at least, one of two things happens. Either the notes are horrible, and then I just say, we're not seeing the same movie. We probably should part ways. But I will tell you, almost all the time, it's really the, it's that I say, okay, I don't agree with what they're prescribing necessarily. I don't think their suggestions for what I should actually do are necessarily correct. But I'm now seeing the note underneath these notes, and they're right. I thought I had done this you know, this one thing as well as it done, but truthfully, they're all reacting to something that's not working. And then I'll be, it, it's like, I almost can rescue my own objectivity at that point. Then come back in and say, Oh, you know what? Here's what, here's what would solve this in a way that you're going to be happy. And I'm going to be happy. Um, Cause it's, it's really, it's not about 
I, I need to have the idea. I can't have it handed to me. Of course, I'd love people to hand me the ideas. But because I'm the one doing a lot of the creating, I, it, it's going to feel more organic to the, to the script if it's coming out of my head. So the most useful notes are really just not what's not working. And again, over time, I sucked at it when I started. It, it takes a lot of time to get better at you know, processing what people aren't liking and finding solutions that don't completely upset the apple cart, but just you know, allow you to improve upon what it is you thought was at that point bulletproof. What's it like writing this character for Chris Evans, Andy Barber? He's the assistant DA. What's it like writing a character who's at least situationally the smartest guy in the room? Well, you know, I've done those kinds of characters before, so that's, I had a little experience with that, actually. What you, with that, I'll sort of answer that part first. When you have the character who's supposed to be the smartest, part of, the smartest guy in the room, all you're thinking about really are, what are this character's flaws? Um, you know, what's broken about this person that we want to see this story potentially fix, or in the case of defending Jacob, what's going to be tested about this person, these flaws in this person that you're really going to say, is this person going to give into their worst impulses that we are aware of, even if maybe some of this person's colleagues aren't aware of it, um, or is this person going to rise above these character flaws and fix themselves? Um, so that's what I'm thinking about when writing that kind of character. And it's the kind of character Truthfully, that I love to write because it's what we all, at least I know for myself, really relate to is that we might, we have this idea of ourselves that we're trying to present to the world all the time, but we all know deep down we're completely screwed up and we just don't want to be, you know, sort of outed as the frauds we know deep down that we are. And so um, I think that this is, to me, that kind of character and what he's doing here where he's sort of playing a role that he's written for himself, right? He's sort of a self-made person. He comes from really pretty dark circumstances and he's built this life for himself and he's gotten these things that he thought would be the, the, the secret to happiness. He's got a wife who loves him. He's got a kid who he adores. He's got a job that's meaningful and he serves his community. And yet he's someone who has built this on some lies. And that to me is the, I just, that's part of really what drew me to it was that it's such an interesting person to think about. And it's this, what I love about the story is had this situation not occurred in their lives, all these fractures in their, in their relationships never would have surfaced most likely. I mean, they, these are these were tiny little stress fractures that only with the pressure of the story did they crumble and start to sort of erode everything that this relationship was built on the, the couple and and also their 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 relationship with their child. And then why did it speak to me is really and why did I, this was my pitch when I first got the book and I said I want to do it as a TV series. I said I I have four children. This is all I think about is my role as a parent and how, you know, good or bad a job I'm doing at any given moment. And, um, and I do think I, at least I have a mild obsession with this notion that we really can't ever know anybody else. You know, even the people we love most, ultimately there's always going to be secrets that they keep from us in the same way we keep secrets from them. And I thought, well, if I'm going to spend eight hours with a story I really have to care about what it's about. And this were, these were topics that I really cared about and really thought it would be a pleasure to sit and think about every day. 
and I had this gift from the author of the book, Bill Landay, of this phenomenal thriller story. And it took, honestly, it took a lot of the pressure off of me to like come up with every twist and turn. I had to come up with some because it's a much longer format um, in some ways even than the novel was. But in many ways, I had a lot of stuff, some of the heavy lifting done. And so I could really devote a lot of thinking to how do these characters speak to each other? What is their day to day? And, you know, some of my favorite scenes in the show were not in the book, but I think had you read the book, you'd say, oh, I see where these scenes might have sprung from. So in a, in a sense, it's this real pleasure of something that feels quite personal to me as a, as a writer, but also it's in collaboration with Bill, the author of the book, and I love collaborating. So those two things together is really why I was drawn to it and, and truthfully why I missed working on it now. And that is our show. Thanks again for tuning in. If it's your first time, make sure to hit that subscribe button on SoundCloud or iTunes. Also check out the new video essay series on YouTube called Creative Principles. And give us a review. That's one of the best ways to help share these interviews. Thanks again.